today Kyle is bringing our message and I saw I saw Belinda say what I was thinking after Sam's operatorio piano I was thinking boy I don't want to follow that up and I'm thinking that I was thinking that for Kyle but then I was thinking you know what he's not playing the piano at least <laughs> um, let me pray for you Kyle please father uh, thank you for, for Kyle and his willingness to study and, and prepare a message for us. I just, I just pray that you use him as a mouthpiece for, for, your, for your word and, and that he challenges us and encourages us. In your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. As always, it's good to be here with all of you. I hope that all of you have had a good week. I know that Brandon had mentioned the Wangards earlier and I'd actually called Brandon last night to see how things were going, and I didn't think about the fact that he's an hour ahead of us in the time zone. And normally when Brandon answers the phone, he'll say, hello, or how's it going, buddy? But this time he answered, and he goes, greetings from the future. <laughs> what? <laughs> he kind of caught me off guard. And uh, But they've got everything unpacked, and all is going well. Uh, Cameron and some of his college friends came over and helped them unpack and Brandon was telling me that he bought two family-sized KFC meals for these three guys, and they ate it all. I'm like, well, yeah, you had three college guys come over and gave them free food, man. Of course it's gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> Why did that surprise you? So anyway, so they're doing well. It's good to be here today with all of you. And uh, today what we're going to do is instead of moving forward in the Gospel of John, we're going to kind of stop and as a... Uh, Wait to move forward into chapter 6 until we get through Thanksgiving and maybe on into Christmas a little bit. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go backwards. And I was thinking about how do you word this when you go back and forth in a book, and R.C. Sproul calls it flippers. So we're going to be flippers today. And if you will, turn back to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And... When the elders were talking, we were talking about going through the Gospel of John together. We decided that no matter what we want to teach about, if we move forward into the next chapter, we need to read the verses that came before it. That way, when we get to the end of the Gospel, we have read the entire Gospel together as a congregation. That's kind of our goal. And it just so happened that in thinking about that, I noticed that we missed three verses, and I actually went back and listened to the sermon to make sure we did miss them, and I did. It's my fault. And so what these are, these are verses 23 through 25 in John chapter 2. And so just a kind of a reminder of where we are in chapter 2. Chapter 2 began with the wedding of Cana and the turning of water into wine. Jesus did the miracle at the wedding, and we talked about how the stone vessels were important because they were pure vessels, and Christ is also a pure vessel of living water, and how the water was filled to the brim, so it was impossible for Christ to cut it with anything because it would have overflowed and the people would have known, so it was a creation miracle. And then we talked towards the end of chapter 2 about the cleansing of the temple. We talked about how it was corrupt and they were the leaders were selling off sacrifices for their gains and making money off of it, and Christ went in and cleansed the temple and flipped the table of the money changers and so on. And so after the story of the cleansing of the temple and before the story of Nicodemus is where these three verses fall. And these three verses are going to set a theme for us as we move forward through the Gospel of John. And it's actually kind of a theme that we've already addressed since we have gone forward. 
and that is this. Jesus wanted people's faith to be deeper than his works. He wanted people's faith to be deeper than his works. He wanted their faith to be in him from scripture, from prophecy, from testimony, and from the Father. But he wanted it to be more than just his works. Because a faith that is based off of works is a faith that is not deep-rooted. It is a faith that will wither. It is not deep for them and it is not deep for us. And that is what we will look at today. So if you haven't already, turn to John 2. And we're going to be reading verses 23 through 25 together. Verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover... During the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. And we're going to read those again because this is going to be the focus of what we're talking about today. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, verse 23 starts out by talking that or telling us that. Jesus was doing works and signs at the Passover. And whatever they were, they were powerful enough that they were causing people to believe in his name. They were literally looking at these works and they were expressing a faith in him. But there's two odd things about this. One is that John doesn't tell us what the works were. Now, normally, as we go through the Gospels and Jesus is doing signs and wonders and miracles and people are expressing faith in him. It is told to us what it is he's doing. But in this moment, it's not. It simply said that he was doing them and they were expressing faith. So then we have to ask ourselves, since this is kind of odd going on, is there something else that Christ is pointing to or that John is pointing to in this? Is the fact that he was not entrusting himself to them and the fact that he knew what was in the hearts of man the focus of what John was getting at in this moment. And so this time period in John chapter two is spoken of again in a story that we've already come across. Turn with me, if you will, to John four. And if you don't want to, uh, I have them written down, so I'll be reading them out loud. But John chapter four, and we're going to see these miracles at the Passover being spoken of again. Now, John chapter four, to kind of uh, remind us about what's going on, then the chapter begins with the Samaritans, with Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well and expressing to her the intimate knowledge of her past and the sins that she was currently engaged in. And then her going and testifying of him to her village and then the village coming to faith through her testimony and then eventually by meeting him. And it culminates with this village declaring him to be the savior of the world. And so immediately after he leaves the Samaritan village, he goes down to Galilee. And when he's in Galilee, we come across the first healing that Dwayne taught us about a few weeks ago. The healing of the man's son. The man has an ill son and he leaves him at home because he is sick and dying and he comes to Christ. And Christ tells him, go your way. 
for your son is healed, and the man goes. But before that man comes to Christ, and before him and Jesus have an interaction, the way the story begins is what we're going to start our focus on. In chapter 445, when Jesus comes into the village there, it states this, The Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. So they were receiving him based off of the works that they had saw him do while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover. That is why they were receiving him, as they were wanting these works to be done for themselves. Remember, the Samaritans were receiving him based off of the word and the testimony in the face of this woman, and they were receiving him based off of works that they had seen him do. And Jesus even points this out when we go down to 448, when he's addressing the people, and he states that unless you people see signs and wonders, you will simply not believe. You will not believe unless you see me do signs and wonders. No matter of all the witnesses we have that we talked about in last week with scripture and testimony and so on, it is the signs and wonders that you must see. And Jesus is similarly implying here that that is all these people cared about. Now we sit and we think to ourselves, well, how can, how can they see these works and come to him and not pursue him any deeper and not have a more meaningful relationship with him? And if we stop and examine our own lives, we sometimes as believers do that as well. We see him work in a, a brother or a sister's life. They're facing the same situation as we are, whether it's an illness or a financial situation or whatever it is. And we see Christ do a work in their life. And so we then want that same work done in ours. If he did it for them, why won't he do it for me? It is seeking after him because of his works. Or we may even be facing a situation and we want an emotion taken away from us. They faced this situation and they had no fear and they had courage. Why am I scared? I don't understand why he did this work in their life, but he will not do this work in ours. And so the Samaritans recognized from a place of faith and the Galileans recognized from a place of work. And the difference is the seeking. Why are you seeking him? One is seeking for a self-serving faith. And the other one is seeking for an outward expression of praise and declaration of who he was. The Galileans were seeking for themselves and the Samaritans were seeking for him. And we have to ask ourselves as well, how do we recognize him? What is Jesus to you in your life? Do you recognize him as the savior or do you recognize him as just a worker of miracles? Someone that you can call upon when you're struggling to get you through a tough time. And that is the only reason why you seek him. And also do not ignore the works that he does in others' lives. Because the work that he is doing in others' lives may be being done to witness to you about his power. It is not to be a deterrent to you. It is to be an encouragement. But oftentimes, as they, we do not accept these works as being a witness of his love and grace, unless they happen to us as well. We are a people also that must see signs and wonders for our faith in Christ to remain strong. And as you continue to go through chapter 4, and verse 50 is not a coincidence that we see Jesus says, go your way, your son lives, and it specifically mentions the way that the man responds. The man responds by simply... <clears throat> Leaving. 
It states, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. The man did not need to see a sign. He did not see a work being done in someone else's life. He simply had faith and he trusted in what Christ told him. And he went his way and through faith, the miracle was done and his son was healed. And so in this faith, we see trust and trust and faith often go hand in hand and the way that they're expressed and the way that they tie together, because trust is the root of all relationships. Any relationship you have that is meaningful, it is because you trust someone. Rather, it is a marriage or a friendship or a business partner, whoever it is, there's trust there. And Christ is wanting the people to trust scriptures, to trust the word of God, not just come to him based off of his works. They should be recognizing him from his works because they know that scripture is pointing to him. It is a witness of who he is. Now, remember last week from John chapter five, we were talking about Jesus confronting the Pharisees. And when he did, he was talking about how his works were a witness of him. But so was the father and so was scripture and so was the testimony of John the Baptist. And in scripture, because they point to him, Moses was the accuser. And so because they knew scripture and they had a knowledge of it, if their faith would have been in what scripture was pointing towards, they would have recognized the witness of his works instead of hating him for them and calling him a blasphemer. But scripture alone is not enough. We must have faith in what they point to. And that was the Pharisees issue. They knew, but they didn't trust in what they were looking for. They wanted to find the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted to find the deliverer that they wanted. They were not looking for the one that Moses and the other prophets in scripture were pointing to. Their faith was in their own desires. And we know that knowing scripture is not enough because Satan knows scripture. Think about Satan and tempting Christ in the desert. He took those scriptures and he contorted them and he twisted them and he turned them into something that they weren't. And yet Christ fought him on that. And we know that false prophets and teachers exist within this world where they also use scripture to twist and contort and get their own desire. Satan uses scripture all the time to create doubt in us. If you have ever argued with someone about the existence of God or the accuracy of scripture or listen to a podcast where philosophers speak, they will always take scripture out of context and twist it. Satan always uses scripture out of context, knowing it is not enough because you see Satan does not care if you read scripture. He does not care if you hear scripture and he does not care if you know scripture. Where robs Satan of his power is when you put your faith in what Scripture is pointing to in Jesus Christ. That is when Scripture becomes deadly to him and his wicked ways. Because we see Scripture being used all the time in the secular world. Some of us, uh, we study different things that interest us. And one of the things that interested me uh, a few years ago was philosophy and different worldviews. And there is an atheist named Sam Harris. He wrote Letters to a Christian Nation and a few other books. And he was on a podcast talking about how society should fear when Christianity is removed from it because of the moral withstandings that are going to be pulled out of it. Now, here's this atheist that doesn't adhere to Christianity at all, and yet he sees the truth in a society without God. 
And then you see a man like Bart Ehrman, who is a historical scholar, and I believe he's a professor at the University of North Carolina, and he knows all sorts of historical facts. He is a world leader in New Testament history. And I have seen him go on a show and argue with the host about the fact that Jesus existed, he had 12 followers, he performed miracles, he was crucified, he talked, or he was uh, tried under Pontius Pilate who existed, the place where he was crucified, and the fact that it seems as though hundreds of people witnessed this and witnessed the miracle of the resurrection. And so the guy asks him, well, if you know all of this, why aren't you a Christian? And he said, because I don't know what to do with it. Scientifically, it doesn't make sense that this man would raise from the dead. So even though he has all of this knowledge, it is doing him no good because his faith is not in it. And so Jesus knows the heart of man. In verse 24, we see that it tells us he didn't entrust himself to them. And in verse 25, he himself knew what was in man. Well, if he wasn't entrusting himself to them and he wasn't and he knew what was in man, then it shows that he knows that works will not create a deep faith. Works will never create a deep root in us. And one theologian was looking at these verses and he pointed to the parable of the sower. And this is where Christ is talking about seeds of faith. And he talks about how some seeds fall on the ground and the birds eat them. And some fall and they're choked out by weeds and others fall on fertile land and they take deep roots. But there is also this part in Matthew 13, 5 through 6. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. We know that these people did not have a deep rooted faith because, yes, they are sitting here and they are looking at his works at the Passover and they are declaring him. But then when we come back a few Passovers later, a few chapters from now, These people in Jerusalem are going to be yelling, crucify him. Now, if they had a faith based off of witnessing his works, how could they possibly have yelled, crucify him later when he came back? A faith in works is not deep. A faith in works is emotionally driven. A faith in works is something that has no roots and no bearing as we move forward. And we've witnessed that in the lives of others. I know that. I have friends that are unbelievers, and some of you probably do as well, or majority of us. And we've probably seen them at one point have a miracle happen to them. They survived a car wreck or an illness that they shouldn't have got through, or some type of a circumstance, and they are just on fire, right? They know that this was God blessing them, but then what do they do? They live for God off of the work. They don't seek people to help them grow and have the testimony of believers, They don't seek him in scripture to learn of him more. Remember Nathaniel under the fig tree and he was told that we found the one who Moses spoke of. They don't declare him to be the savior of the world as the Samaritans do. They simply experience him based on a one time work and the roots do not grow deep. And we think about works and faith and think about the children of Israel. They witnessed the plagues and God getting them out of Egypt They crossed the Red Sea and they saw the pillars of fire in him on Mount Sinai. When Moses went up, they built a golden calf and worshipped it. 
How could they see all these works and yet do that? And it is because they weren't trusting. Their faith was lacking. Their faith was only in what they were seeing in the moment that they were in. Only in that moment. They were not trusting in the word of the Lord, which Moses was giving them. The word about their future. They were only in the moment. And that is why the Pharisees were being judged as well, was because a lack in the word of God, a lack in the faith of what it was pointing to. Because in chapter 2 we see that he is not entrusting himself to them because they are coming to him on works. And in chapter 6 when we read about feeding of the 5,000, that will end with the verse in 15 stating that they wanted to make him king. And he fled from them because they wanted to crown him because of the work that they had seen him do, not because of what scripture was pointing to about him. And then we have the in-between where he talks to the Pharisees about his works being a witness of what Moses was pointing to and how they should know him. Now, there are times where works do come first, such as the Samaritans, but it is the faith that follows and the way they seek him and declare him that makes a difference between it being deep-rooted and shallow because of the lens that we look at the works through, which is what Christ was telling them. Think about things that happen in our lives versus our unbelieving friends that happens. If we both had an illness and we both came into remission, he looks at himself as lucky and we look at ourselves as blessed. It's a difference of the lens that you're looking at his works. Are you looking at his works as the Samaritans did? And it is a witness of who he is. Are you looking at his works as the Galileans did? And it is something that you desire for yourself, for self-gratification and for self, <clears throat> self-importance and lifting up. So we ask ourselves, what are we and what are you? Are you a Samaritan? Are you a Galilean? Or are you a Pharisee? Is he your savior? Is he simply a, a worker of situations, someone that helps you through difficult times and that's all when you call on him? Or is he someone that you read about when you're seeking knowledge and you're going through your, your daily routine? It's 5.30 and I have to read my devotional before I go work. Are you seeking him in that moment to learn more about him? Or is it simply something that you do? I pray that our faith is in where scripture leads and that our faith is in Jesus Christ and that it points to him. And may we live by scripture for him and not out of an obligation, but out of love. And may we seek him in a desire for his love and a relationship with him, not for his works and not for what he can do for us. And so we also ask the question, are you seeking him for his works and for his works only? And if you are seeking him for his works, are you willing to change that? Are you willing to recognize his witness through others? And are you willing to recognize his blessings in your life and be grateful and give him praise, declaring him to be the savior of the world? Instead of being Galileans and wanting him to do works, maybe be Samaritans and praise him for the savior that he is. Let's pray. Christ, we thank you for, for Scripture and the Holy Spirit and for each other, for testimony and all the ways that you lead us, Lord. We pray that you continue to guide us as we move forward as both individuals and a body. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given us. 
We pray, Lord, for a peaceful week. We pray, Lord, that you continue to help us lean on you and lean on each other as a body. May your spirit be with us, Lord. Amen.